I'm going to pray real quickly for that, that school in Santa Fe. Lord, um, we, we lift those families up to you. It's uh, the tragedy, Lord, at that school in Santa Fe, Lord, with the, the 10 plus who died, Lord, those who witnessed what happened, Lord. Um, we mourn with them. It's especially close to home. I know at least one member of the congregation um, has family that are close by working in the same schools. Lord, we, uh, I pray that you would save people in this tragedy, that your mercy would go forth in power, that your, your church, your body would wrap its arms around those that are suffering. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to figure things out legally. I know I, ultimately it's a hard issue, Lord, so I pray for, for those that are in governance um, and for this country and for that school, Lord, that you would just shower your mercy and grace and that you would change hearts and that you would um, do a wonder in our days that we couldn't that we wouldn't even think to ask for or imagine, Lord, um, as we eradicate the evil in our hearts, Lord, as we pull into this text where you talk about that very thing. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for enduring, uh, enduring so much evil in hell and sin uh, to save us, Lord. So we gather in your name, and I pray that you just bless the words of my mouth. Bless that school. Bless those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, good morning to you. Somber prayer, somber word this morning. Not a, not a chipper word from Paul here, talking about this egregious sin in the church. Um, but again, it's super germane, super relevant. We, it's God's word, we, therefore we need it. And here we are in 1 Corinthians 5. We dare not skip over it. So we're gonna, we're gonna dive right in. I just wanna say, before I forget, and, and I, I'll hopefully mention it again um, during communion when I present the elements, but I really felt before today, maybe yesterday morning, or maybe it was this morning early, and then I felt again quite strongly as we were worshiping that there's a spirit of healing in this place now. Um, God is always present with his people in various ways. It's a mystery how the Holy Spirit moves, but I just have a keen sense this morning that he is here in a special way to heal bodily, and in other ways too, perhaps, but, and so I just want to encourage you to be even in prayer pressing into that this morning. I mean, part of Paul's text is there is real power when God's people are present by the power of his Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ. There is real power to cast someone out out of the protection of Christ so in the day of Christ they might be saved. There is real power here. And this morning I think there's power for healing. And so I just wanna say, get hungry. If you need healing in any way, be open to the Spirit and just we're gonna have a time of prayer as we always do after, during communion and afterwards and, and, and get hungry and come up and get fed and get healed. And the Lord's gonna do what he wants to, but you, sometimes we just gotta come up and ask. Hey, I, don't, I didn't know my kids needed some, wanted some Cheetos, but I'm glad to give it to them. But when they come up and say, hey, can I have some Cheetos? It's like, yeah, you wouldn't have gotten them, but now you're gonna get them because you just asked for them. God works in the same way. It's a mystery. Okay, so that's that. That's that. That's for free. Okay. Um, wow, what a text. What a, what a text here. Let me turn to my notes. Um, there, one of my favorite authors, he was a well-known thinker at the time. He was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, a little bit older. And he was British. Yeah, G.K. Chesterton, some of you will know him, have read some of his stuff. And he was well-known and well-respected, strong Christian, enough, but dabbled in, Eastern, in the Eastern mysticism and some of the dark arts even. 
um, before coming to Christ and wrote a wonderful testimony of his coming to the faith called Orthodoxy, highly recommended. Part of my sermons are just book recommendations, by the way, so hope you're okay with that. Uh, he was well-respected enough to be asked, I believe it was by the Times in London, not, don't quote me on that, um, at some point in his career, we're doing a piece on what is wrong with the world, they said, and so they, they, um, they polled and solicited different, different responses from different thinkers for, uh, in, the, in that society, and, and he wrote back the shortest letter on record. Uh, he said, dear sirs, in response to your question, what is wrong with the world, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Now, there's a lot there. And one of the things, one of the main things he was driving at is when we do this, and I've seen this done from pulpits, and I've probably done this from pulpits. When we do this and point to the world to say the world is the problem with us and with the world, we get it completely wrong. He said, look, the first thing that the gospel does, that the word of God does, if it's doing, if I'm letting it do its job, is it cuts me to the heart and shows me what a sinner I am and that I am the problem with the world and that I need a savior and his name is Jesus. And man, if we can be a church who does that, we are on our way. And the world is on its way to being revived and saved. And that's really what Paul's getting at here. The purity of the church, the hope of the world is riding on. There's a sense in which this text, sexuality, yes, it is a, you know, very on the, on the surface of things and a very forward in your face sexuality text, right? About this egregious sin, and we'll get into that a bit, but it's really about the purity of the church and the salvation of the world depends upon, hangs upon, because of what Christ has done and because we're his body, depends upon our purity, the holiness of the church. There's nothing more serious, there's nothing more important, and yet so often we are so cavalier about the way that we live, even though Christ lived and died for us, that we might be a pure bride for himself. So that's really what Paul's getting at here. It's really what Paul's getting at. Um, in verses one through six, we, we really look at the discipline issue and how Paul commands them, doesn't recommend that they do uh, things in order to cast this person out of the fold that he might be saved. Um, so they, he says, look, you're, you've committed, it could be incest, it could be that uh, this is, he's, it says your father's wife. So it could be not his mother, but uh, his second wife, perhaps. And so either way, it's an egregious sin. And Paul says even the pagans who have, are much looser when it comes to sexuality, even the pagans around us in this Roman culture, this Hellenized Roman culture, um, even they find this sort of thing abhorrent. But you're not only letting it happen, but somehow proud about it. And that is an absolute disgrace and it's hurting every individual in the body and it's hurting the larger body, right? Because when, when it's, and this is one of the things I wanna drive home, your sin is my problem if we are a body. My sin is your problem if we are a body. And we are a body because Christ is our head. And so, um, like Cicero in, in Pro Cluentio uh, in, in other places too, talks about how we have record of pagans saying, this very thing about incest, like it's unacceptable. I can't believe this is the only time I've ever heard of this ever happening and it's unacceptable, it's a horrible sin. The pagans are saying this and yet the church in Corinth, surrounded by this pagan society as we are, is not only letting it pass but proud about it. And we think, how could they be proud about it? But I just immediately thought of two things. Man, we are in the Western church proud about various sins, we are. 
It seems unbelievable, but then you drill down into practical things. We're proud about certain sexual sins and lifestyles that the Bible clearly from cover to cover says unacceptable because this is not God's good plan for your flourishing and thriving. And yet the liberal church, for instance, in America is proud about certain stances sexually. We've, we've reached a higher level and we are now proud to, to not judge and just to say you are welcome here. And yes, you're welcome here, but also you're blessed of the Lord. To put them in a place that where they feel safe and secure, where God says by his word, that is not the best for you and you're in a very precarious place. And so endangering their souls, but proud about being a church like that. Or on the conservative side, the conservative side sins in its own way, right? Proud about issues which Paul mentions here in the latter part of the text in uh, verse 11, about issues of greed, idolatry. There's a sense in which the conservative side of the American church, I think, um, is, is more guilty of sort of we've been given all of these possessions and all this material and we're making headway, but still we tend to think in accordance with what the culture tells us instead of, instead of in accordance with the word, which is basically that all this stuff that I have, it's essentially mine to do with as I please. All this stuff is for me. And that is from cover to cover again, it's not the way, that it's not God's best plan for us. And so we heap and we heap and we heap up. And yet God says, if this is your lifestyle, whether it's the sexual promiscuity in whatever way, or greed or idolatry, which is essentially making good thing an ultimate thing and putting your identity into that and letting that characterize your life, then it, we, are, we, we in the American church tend to be arrogant and proud about these kind of things. And so Paul, there's a, a very real sense in which Paul is speaking right to us. And I pray that his word and the word of God through him pierces, pierces us. Um, what does Paul say here? The big sort of verses one through six, this first movement in the text, um, there's a big just question. The main question is, what is Paul recommending here when he says, uh, cast this man out for the destruction of his flesh? Is he saying, cast him out so he goes to hell? And the answer briefly is, no, not at all. Because what? The word salvation saved is here. He says, verse five, you are to deliver this man to Satan, not for his destruction, body and soul. No, 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 for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And this also isn't, so he's looking for this discipline that he calls for in the church. It's always restorative. It's not retributive. It's not just to punish, just to castigate. It's not to castigate and punish at all except for the purpose of restoration except for the purpose of restoration. Um, it's also not a sort of platonic or neoplatonic uh, or Gnostic kind of spirit good, matter bad, and so that his invisible bit might be saved and his body will perish forever. That's not, what, that's not what Paul's saying. It's rather the language that he uses a lot of um, two different ways of talking about the full person. The old part of him that is corrupt and that finds its identity in things outside the Lord, whether sexuality, or greed, or idolatry, or speaking nasties you know, through your mouth, or swindling, or, or, or um, reviling, all these things. Uh, he says, that person Christ came to crucify and was crucified in the place of those who look to him. And, and we live not in the old man, not in the flesh, but rather in the spirit, in Christ alone, we live and breathe. It's two different ways of looking at a whole person. One is a walking dead man or woman, and one is alive in Christ. And he says, if you cast this person out as a body coming together in power, it's gonna be the best way for him to be saved, his whole person, body and soul. 
in spirit. Um, and so one of, again, there's a lot of sort of question and controversy about how, what does Paul mean here? How can casting someone out of the body and essentially excommunicating him from the fellowship of worship, how can that contribute to his being saved on the day of the Lord? In other words, that's one of Paul's way of just saying, how can that contribute to his being saved? Because um, not only does the sin of one member affect the whole body, so it's not just a him issue, it's an us issue, it's the whole body. Man, if, uh, if the ankle's broken, the whole body suffers. And Paul moves into this in verses six through eight with the yeast and the, and the bread. If there's yeast in a loaf, it's gonna spread throughout the entire, it's not just gonna stay in one place, it's gonna spread throughout the entire loaf if it's unattended to and not cut out, not dealt with, right? Um, in the same way, if you put ink in water, it's not just gonna stay in that place. It's go, if, if it's stirred just a little, it's gonna spread throughout the whole, it's like snake poison, same sort of thing. I mean, there are a million illustrations. Um, if one family member in a, we have so many little kids here, right? We all, a lot of us know of this, and we've grown up in families, all of us. So if there's one little kid who's sick, what happens a lot of times? Whole family gets the sniffles. Whole family's out the next week or two weeks later. Um, and so, and also like if you have cancer in one portion of your body, it can take down the whole body, which is why we go for radiation. We go to cut out that cancer. That's just the way things work. And so it's a body issue. It's an individual issue. Um, we're all responsible for one another in this body. Without discipline, the, it's about health, that the body is extremely unhealthy. If you don't discipline your kids, they're still your kids, but man, there's gonna be massive unhealth. They're just gonna be running amok, doing what they want. It's a disaster, right? So he's doing this ultimately for the salvation of this individual and for the health of the body. Um, but, oh, the question being, um, so how is his casting out this man gonna contribute to his salvation? In the end, it's, it's, a, it's a question, but this is what he says to do. But one thing is, um, it's bad for the body to allow him to stay undisciplined in the body, and he's unrepentant, right? That's not the thing. If he was repentant, it would be a different issue. That's totally different, but he's unrepentant. He's proud about what he's doing. Cast him out for a time that he might be saved. One thing is, it reminds the body, like I said, kind of before I started preaching, there's real power here uh, for protection, for human flourishing, for feeding on the body of Christ, for abiding in him, for loving one another, for reaching a perishing world. And that is compromised um, when there's someone like this that's unrepentant in his sin or in her sin in the body. Um, and so, but also, it's even more dangerous, even more dangerous than um, casting him out even more unloving, and this is a loving thing to do, than casting him out of the body for a time is to allow him to stay in, to think what? I'm in a good place. I'm safe in the Lord. What does Paul, he moves on to Passover language here that he says Christ fulfills. What is he saying? He's saying, basically, he's about to use, he's kind of using that whole idea and saying, put him out of the congregation that is safe under the blood in the house, in the, in the Old Testament when there was Passover, and everyone huddled up that trusted in God's word. They put the blood of an innocent lamb over the doorpost of a house and they hid in that house and they fed on the innocent lamb that was sacrificed for them to keep them safe. And that was the only safe place as the angel of death passed over because of the blood. And he is saying, put them outside of the house because if they remain in the house, they're gonna think they're safe. And so many of us and so much of the church in America 
is inoculated against the gospel and against the protection and the health and the benefits of the living Christ in us because we are already in that body and we think that what we're doing in living a life of unrepentant sin is okay. And Paul's saying that's the most dangerous place to be because what you're doing is if that's what characterizes you and it is in the case of this man, you're just, you're not covered but you think that you are because you're with the people of God and it will be impossible for you to be saved. So cast in love this person out that they might know, whoa, that protective power was real and now I am fully exposed to all that Satan has and he is tearing me apart. And whoa, I wanna run back. I wanna run back to Christ and I repent of my sin. That's what Paul's shooting for here. That's what Paul's shooting for here. It's a mercy and it's a grace. So why do we do it? We do it because for the health of the family and this individual, again, as we, we're gonna end with this, but so that others might know him. How is a, a, a corrupted church that looks a lot like the world gonna help the world? How is a, a church that doesn't really image Christ in all of his purity, how is that gonna be something that saves the world? It's not gonna be. And so it's the best way to love the world, to care about our own purity, Um, and that is always in Christ. Now, let me just, before moving on to point two, let me just um, break down just a few practical ways that we do that in this body, okay? Um, First of all, discipline is one of the marks of the true church. We believe it. It's hard, just like in a family. It's hard to discipline your kids. It's easier short-term to let them do what they want. But man, long-term, they're gonna either die or be in prison if you just don't discipline them at all, and you're Family is just going to be chaos. That's the way, there's no different in this family. To love one another is to one-on-one in smaller groups and then before the whole church to, to discipline one another. I mean, this sermon, every time we preach and administer communion and sing together and come together, there's discipline in that, in letting the word of God confront us to his image, not for us to make it what we want to. I wouldn't be preaching this text if I made of God's word what I wanted to. I assure you of that but to let God conform us to the image of Christ through his word. That's discipline. It's love and it hurts, but it's good. It's part of any healthy family. So in Matthew 18, Jesus um, sort of expands on what Paul kind of mentions here in verse four. When you come together, not just alone in your rooms, but when you come together and Christ is present with you, God dwells in the praises of his people, Psalm 22. He's enthroned on them in a powerful way. When we are gathered in Christ's name, Christ is present among us. When two or three are gathered in his name, there he is. He is present among us in a powerful way, such that that's why we say when you come and take communion by faith, feed on him truly. He is with you to heal, to bless, to protect, to make you more like Jesus, to send you out into the world as an emissary for his name. Wow, that is real. Just because it's invisible doesn't mean it's not real. The wind is invisible. There's a sense in which light is invisible. It illumines things and we can see by its illumination that it is real. There's so many things that are invisible but real, all sorts of waves, all right? And so Christ is invisibly but truly present with us by the power of his spirit, bodily reigning in heaven. And when you come together, Paul says, formally, with my approval as an apostle of the living God, cast this man out. So uh, Matthew 18, Jesus says, look, if you see a brother or sister who's in sin, what are you to do? Gossip about them? 
easier just to say nothing, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna kind of have a cold and ever harder and colder feeling toward them and kind of distance myself from them and just judge them to myself. Maybe it'll pop up as gossip, maybe something else. That's usually what I do. It's usually what a lot of bodies of Christ do, sadly. But that's the opposite of what Paul says here and the opposite of what Jesus says. He says, rather, if you find that a brother or sister is in sin, go to that person. You on them, you with them. And if you can win them, you will have won a brother or sister. One-on-one, first of all. Let's, let's confront each other, not in judgment, because we all deserve the condemnation of God, but we are in Christ, and so we are free and guiltless in him. So going to that person out of concern for their health and for the health of the larger body. Man, your sin is not your problem. It's my problem. It's our problem. We gotta get over this individualistic, atomized, post-enlightenment American mentality. The biblical understanding of us is that we are a body. The ankle hurts, it's affecting the whole body. If there's a cancer in one place, it's affecting the whole body. It's my problem too. I wanna see the cancer cut out in love. So go to that person. If that person doesn't respond, go with another person or a couple people. Maybe in your parish, maybe not. And if that doesn't, if that, there's no repentance, again, what we're looking for is repentance leading to life. Restoration, not retribution. If still that doesn't work, bring me into it. Paul says, bring the whole, Jesus says, bring the whole church in. That's bring me, and then if I need to, the sojourn elders. We'll bring it before the elders who represent all of you. Okay, and we will deal, and if at the worst, we say, look, we're body at the next government member meeting. We are excommunicating this person so that they might be saved. And what does Jesus say? He says, treat them like a tax collector or a Gentile after that. Does that mean just like kick them to the curb? No, do you kick the world to the curb? He's saying treat them like you would treat someone in the world that's not saved. Don't let them continue to think you think that they are protected and safe in Christ. Love them and treat them in such a way that you are beckoning them, pleading with them, come in. Leave your lifestyle. Christ is the only way. That's, that's what Jesus says. It's for salvation. So briefly, this point two. Um, so discipline, just to summarize, it means that we are part of a, healthy family bound together and made such by the blood of Christ. That's what family's discipline. That's one of the indicators that we are a family, okay? So point two, verses six through eight. Um, what does Paul say here? He says, man, you're boasting, again, it affects the whole, this leaven affects the whole lump. It's not just a private sin. Your sin is my problem. My sin is your problem. Listen to this in verse seven. It's one of the most amazing verses. It's kind of the central verse of this text. Cleanse out the old leaven. Okay, he's really talking about sin here, Right? Cleanse out the old leaven, the sin, that you may be a new lump. So do some work here. What I've just been talking about in community, do that work. Take it seriously in your own life. Open yourself up to being held accountable. Open yourself up to being pointed out. Open yourself up to in love being corrected and being disciplined. Please don't be like the old guy who I, I was living with a lady once and she, her parents are getting old. And she's like, please don't be like he, he was 90 and he thought that he could still drive. And she's like, please don't do that when you're older. Let your kids take care of you and take your keys from you without giving a, you know, making, making it hard on them. It's already hard enough, but like, I don't need a bath. Yes, you do. You know, I, I can drive still. No, you can't. You know, like, um, let's be, let's make discipline on us easy. Let's be humble enough to say, I need work. You need work. Let's, in love, speak to one another and we'll finish with that. But um, let's see, where was I? Okay, verse seven. So he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Check this out. So do that work, what? A new lump, as you really are unleavened. You see that? Do the work 
Why? Because that's your true identity, is that in Christ, you are already without sin, sinless, a saint, covered in the righteousness of Christ. And it's only when you get that that you can open up and say, that's, my identity is not this nasty stuff in here. My identity is that I'm already unleavened. Therefore, I can open my life up to you, and in love, you can. And maybe sometimes it's, it's not in love. It's not always done perfectly, but I can still receive. The wise man can learn even from the fool. The fool thinks he's got it all covered. He thinks he's wiser than all the wise people. Man, I wanna be wise. I want you to come to me and hurt me. Hurt me good. Hurt me for my benefit and for your benefit, right? Let's wound each other in love. The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of a brother, okay? I think I got that, that proverb, I kind of twisted a little bit, but man, the wounds of a friend are good. Show me where the cancer is. Help me to cut it out in Christ's name. And why can I do that? Because that sin doesn't identify me. Because Christ is my Passover lamb. He took, he was crucified as the Passover lamb. He was annihilated on the cross because of my sin. And he gave me his righteousness, his perfect obedience from the heart to the Father. And he took what I deserved. The more I think on that and feed on that and mull over that by his word in community and let his spirit minister that reality to my heart, that's my identity, that's my identity, I'm accepted and fully loved in Christ, I'm fully known and fully loved, then I can let you point out things in me and I can point out things in you and remind you of the same thing. Brother, sister, that's not your identity. That stuff that we wanna take care of, we're freed up because we know who we are in Christ, unleavened, without sin, to deal with our sin. That's what Paul's saying here. That's what Paul's saying here. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Notice that past tense language. Why can we do all this work in the present, currently, knowing that we've not yet arrived? Because as we read earlier from Romans 8, we've been justified already. We've been made right in God's eyes through the work of Christ. We've been already sanctified. He uses the past tense in that, in that text. All the work that happens throughout our lives that Christ purchases for us of the, of the sort of working out of our salvation, being made more and more really like Jesus, having his image fuller and fuller and brighter and brighter in us, Paul says it's past tense, it's already as good as done, been purchased. The more that you dwell on Christ and who you are in him and abide in him, the more that will work itself out in you through his work, not through yours. You see, that abiding, it's relational. It's not do, 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 do. It's knowing God and being known by God in Christ. That's it. And you're also, Paul says, glorified in that passage in Romans 8. It's already as good as done. It's purchased for you. He has been sacrificed. What is Paul saying here? Christ is our Passover lamb. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. And he finishes with that. Purge the leaven. Purge the sinner that there might be salvation. This is language, Deuteronomy 28, the holiness code in Leviticus. In the Torah, in the law, only ever applied to one people group, only, Israel. Israel, the people of God, by faith in the promise of God, who ultimately is Jesus. What does Jesus do when he's walking with his disciples after he's resurrected in Luke 24? What does he do? What does he start telling them? Wish we could have been there, mind-blowing. Well, we get it in the New Testament. The New Testament authors say, yeah, all that Old Testament stuff, even the Israelites being delivered from Egypt, that whole Passover where they had the blood over the door and the, and the innocent lamb was sacrificed so that they sinners could go free. That whole thing, that was all for one person, Jesus. That was all because of one person, Jesus. 
Jesus, Paul says here, Christ is actually the real Passover lamb. That other stuff was shadows. I'm the real guy, and my shadow is real too, but it's only real because I am opaque, and it's being cast because I'm a real thing. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what all the gospel writers say when they present Jesus. They say, hey, all that in the past has happened for one reason. This guy, Messiah, he's come to fulfill all the shadows. He's the real deal. So what does that mean for you? In brief, it means that you are Israel. You are the people of God. There has only ever been one people of God, the people of God who have been made right with God through the promise of God, by faith in that promise. And what is his name? What is the name of the promise of God? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Paul says this over and over and over again in various letters, and so do the other New Testament authors. When you don't read your story in the story of Israel, you are not grabbing hold of your inheritance. You are the one that deserved for the angel of death to come and take your firstborn out and to stay in the iron furnace of Egypt, and so was I. But God, by his mercy, another that was innocent, that didn't deserve to die, was sacrificed for you, and, and, and you were under that blood, and then you walked free out of the iron furnace into freedom. And that is our story. And that thing that happened in history that was real was just a prelude to what Christ would come and do. He didn't just set us free from physical bondage, being slaves for 400 years, from literal Egyptian taskmasters. He came to set us free from, think about this, put yourself in this place. If, if you can't, the gospel will mean very little to you. You and I really deserved what Christ took. The bondage that he endured for us, we really, you and I really deserve hell. We really deserve all the punishment for the sins that we've committed, all the separation from God, all of his just wrath poured out on us, all the misery that my sins have created in the world and in me played out because we have, we have offended an infinite God and therefore deserve to suffer infinitely because he's just to pay back the debt that we owe. Jesus Christ has delivered you from that. He has been sacrificed. He endured all that because God is just. There was no free pass. He was punished in your place. This is your deliverance. This is the true story of Israel. Okay, And you are part of that story if you are uh, in Christ. You are God's people by faith, just as Abraham and his progeny always have been. Okay, So that's sort of an aside, but it's what, Christ, it's what Paul's talking about here. It's been done. You have a new identity. Live like a son in faithful, faithful obedience to the Father, knowing that all that's, been all that's necessary has been done for you in Christ. But also, what does Paul say here? What does Paul say? He says, let us therefore, he didn't just stop with Christ has been sacrificed, past tense is who you are, what? Let us therefore present, not only work to discipline the body and to cut out the cancer and to take sin seriously, but what? Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Man, this life of purity and holiness that we've been called to as a body of Christ, it's a, it's a life not ultimately of the nose. Cut this out, apply discipline here, it's ultimately, Paul's saying, a celebration. It's a feast. It's a party. That's what Christ died for, to bring us into the garden, into face-to-face -face fellowship with the one who made us for himself and with one another. And that's what Paul finishes with in this text, that we might be a people of sincerity and truth, not characterized by duplicity and hiding and maliciousness and evil. That's the world. 
but rather to be a community where sincerity and truth are such that my identity is in Christ, so I can honestly tell you I'm a mess right now. I struggle with anger. Ask my wife last week. I struggle with mad anger, pride. All week she was like, what is your problem? I'm like dating the high school Taylor Ents. That's what she said yesterday, all right? <laughs> is that my identity? Hell no. Hell no. That's not my identity. Was that real? Oh, yeah. But that's the old man, and it's being put to death. Even as I confess to you, let us be a community of sincerity and truth, and that is a, an indicator that we know where we truly stand on a wide place, and his name is Christ. He is our rock, and he has done everything necessary for us to be an open and accepted and loved people despite our behavior, and yet we take our behavior very seriously, and we know that it comes from the heart, and our hearts are being transformed as from one glory to the next because of his finished work. So um, that is, they know is ultimately for a yes, to be a people that the world looks at and just goes, holy and pure, what? This behavior, and yet they know how to party. They are full of joy, full of a, a festivity, a real celebrating from the heart, a gladness and a transparency and a peace, a heavy and a profound peace that I have never known. To see them get sucked in once they enter in past that. What's the black, the black hole, sort of the event horizon? Once they get, enter in, you see that in the early church in Acts 2.47, like people get too close and they, they just get like sucked into salvation. Whoa, you know, like that our parishes, our neighborhood parishes could be that as we get into each other's stuff, right? We're not just, how are you? Fine, how are you? Fine, how are you? Fine, like the world does that. I don't want that. I want you to get into my stuff and I wanna get into yours that we might celebrate the feast together. And the last point, point three, uh, verses nine through the finish, through 13, what is Paul saying here? Quite simply, quite simply, this. He's like, man, I am not telling you to point your finger at the world. Remember G.K. Chesterton? In response to your question, what is wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. I am, I am not telling you, Paul says, to point to the world and to say, greedy, swindlers, revilers, idolaters, sexually immoral. Ugh. That is our problem in the Western church. That's all we do. Look at the society. It's gone to hell. Yes, that's the gospel. And he has redeemed a people for himself, and he has called us to purity. And if we would take him and our own purity seriously enough, then the world would have a chance at seeing something else and at being saved. He says, don't judge the world. Judge yourselves. Judge yourselves. Take that seriously. Cut it out that that man might be saved. Your sin is my problem. My sin is your problem. And when we get that right, when we judge one another in love, when there's discipline, from the one-on-one -on -one all the way to the elders and the whole congregation, when we take that seriously, the world is going to start getting saved. We, our purity is a concern in large part so that people might be saved. Christ has called us to purity, not for the world, but for us, and then it affects everyone around us. So let's stop finger pointing out there, man. Of course the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's why Christ came. We were too. And now he saved us through no good of our own and called us to purity and holiness. That's his final bit. Lord, that we could get this hard word, incest. That's a tough one. Let's skip and preach chapter six. Chapter six is not a lot easier, so we'll meet that one next week. But 
Um, do you see how a hard word is a good word when it's from the Lord? See how a hard word is a good word when it's from a good parent? Dang. Give me that spanking if I could only have that kind of wisdom at age three and be like, give me the spanking. Because I know it's for my good, you know? It's true. My dad I would always say, this is, hurts me more than it hurts you. Man, that made me mad sometimes. But deep down, I always knew. And I think one time I asked if I could spank him then. And I probably got a second spanking. <laughs> but man, how true is that for any loving parent? You know that is so true. I really don't want to spank you, but I love you. I love you so much that I'm going to apply discipline. Whatever form, right? If you're against spanking, that's fine. Whatever form, discipline that child. And man, if they could just see, discipline me, dad, mom, discipline me. I need it. I want it. That means you love me. All the whole chapter, Hebrews 12, is about how if you're not disciplined, being disciplined is a sign that we are a family loved by God, made a family by the blood of Christ. If we are not disciplined, God has left us to our own devices, and he doesn't call us sons and daughters. And that is terrifying. But not you, friends. Not you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is hard sometimes, like a paddle, like a blade that pierces our very hearts and exposes all the nasties, and you, as a good surgeon, never will expose without full intention to and power to heal, to cut out that cancer, Lord. Cut it out in us, in love, in the name of Christ, our Passover lamb sacrificed for us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.